That was a great night. Were some of you guys there? How many of you guys were there? Yeah, that, wasn't that fun? I love that one shot with, with the, the old Capitol right behind this. I mean, just unbelievable. This, this is just a great place to be right now. Um, and actually, this whole town, can I just, one little aside. Last night, uh, we went down to the Ped Mall again, and uh, the Latina Festival was going on. Anybody go down there for the Latina Festival? It reminded me of all my days in Southern California, and just the mariachi music and the mariachi dancers and their huge dresses doing all this. I mean, and I just thought, I love this town so much. Where else can you just experience so much culture and so much? Some of you guys take it for granted, I think, but some of us that are newer to this town are, are just, yeah, mesmerized by everything around here. But back to the kickoff, um, that was an incredible night. I, I don't even know how many people were the scores and scores and scores of students all showing up right there on central campus, right there with the old Capitol right behind, and hearing the gospel go out. And even as we were making our way down there, it was interesting because Teresa, my wife Teresa, made this comment as we're getting there, and she goes, man, there are so many churches right here. You know what I mean? Like, you, you have to pass church after church after church to get down there. And you guys, that, that is actually a a common phenomenon in, in university communities. And I want to I show you this uh, quote. So visit any university campus in the U.S., literally any university campus, and you will find a common phenomenon, a beautiful central campus surrounded by church buildings representing a host of denominations. Those churches represent a day when the university and the church work side by side in the development of our nation's future leaders. But something has happened. Those historic church buildings are often either abandoned or nearly so. They stand as haunting sentinels of a bygone day. Um, okay, the reason that the author isn't on there because I wrote it. <laughs> so here's what's true. That came out of my dissertation. Nobody but the author ever reads their dissertation. Am I right? Some of you guys have those. So now I can honestly say hundreds of people have read my dissertation. Anyway, <laughs> but, um, but part of, part of uh, my, my point in, in writing what I did is this whole experience that we all have. If you've been around university campuses, you know that that's true. What is it about these universities all these churches, but those churches often not, not always, but often are like museums. I, I call them in that, in that quote, sentinels, almost like these guardians, these, think of almost like gargoyles or something, you know what I mean? They're just like standing around, hovering around, but kind of lifeless and dead, but they're almost like standing there very, um, you know, soldierly looking over things. But it's been a long time since there's been a, a, any actual life in there. Why is that? I was even thinking, guys, of our church name, Veritas. So we share in, in a name the same word or motto then of the very first university in the United States, Harvard University, right? Harvard University, they have a one-word motto, Veritas. And if you read their, their opening, you know, uh, statements about why they were even in, in incorporating, that you'll see this incredible desire to cooperate with the church in raising up the next generation of leaders for this nation that hadn't even founded it as a nation yet, okay? In, in fact, at one point, this is interesting, 
as Harvard continued to grow, they changed it from Veritas to Veritas Christo e Ecclesia, which is translated truth for Christ and for the church. Isn't that amazing? Then it took a couple hundred years later before they would pair it back to just Veritas. And now the chaplain of Harvard University is an avowed atheist and believes that he really reflects the spiritual nature of the students on that campus. So what started off as a university to herald you know, truth and Christ and the church now disavows all the above but still bears the name Veritas. Here's what I'm saying. The church and the university used to have this like symbiotic relationship, right? Some of you guys are in biology. A lot of you guys are in biology, right? These two organisms that are dependent on each other. They're interdependent. They, they feed off each other, right? They, they help each other along the way. That's the way it used to be, and we have come a long way since that day. And in fact, now, often, guys, the church and the university are at odds with each other, antagonistic toward each other. This, this idea of this interdependence and we're in this together, that's, that's a relic of the past, right? So even now, making our way to that in, incredible kickoff, passing all those churches, well, you guys, we would love to have a church right down there, but we can't even afford the real estate to be that close to the university, right? We, we could not get there. But here's what I want you to know. Even though I'm talking about kind of a day in the past, that impulse for the church to be right alongside the university is the reason Veritas Church exists and is here. Now, whether, whether you've been here for, for many years, maybe even came here to help plant Veritas, or if you're brand new, we all need to embrace this idea. Veritas, even the name Veritas, displays something. Veritas was birthed in Iowa City because of the university. All right? Look, Churches have lots of purposes for being here, and obviously all of us here to glorify Christ, but kind of a special reason for existence, and our special reason for existing is because we're here to reach one of the most neglected and yet one of the most consequential people groups in this whole world, university students. That's why we set up shop. That's why we came here, and that's, that's why we exist. So what, what I want to do, my task this morning, guys, is to have us open the Bible together, and I want us to see from the Bible how we can be guided to think rightly about this unique calling. Most churches have run away from this kind of a calling. Most churches have decided, that's too much work. Those are scary people at that university. I'm going out here. No, we are boldly for the university and I want us to look at the Bible, why we should be a church for university students, okay? So my very first point, and it's pretty simple stuff, is that Veritas needs the salt company. <laughs> and I want to show you from the Bible why that is true. Veritas, we need the salt company. And the first kind of sub-point, if you're a note-taker, is this. The reason Veritas needs salt company is, A, new life spurs new life, okay? For that, I want you to go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Man, I've been taking a, a, a fresh look through the New Testament, and when I got to Matthew 18, I was reminded of this beautiful central truth of our faith. Matthew 18, the first few verses. If you've got a Bible or an app, go ahead and turn there. 
New life spurs new life. And I want you to see that from Matthew 18. It says this, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, So who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is such a recurring theme, you guys. And the disciples are so much like you and I. We're wondering how to climb the ladder, how to make ourselves great, how to make a name for ourselves, whatever. They were asking the very same question, boldly going up to Jesus, saying, so so who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He follows with an object lesson. (laughs) He called a small child, had him stand among them. Truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. All right, now, I just want to say from the start, this is not my opportunity to call university students children, like kids. You're not, okay? If you're a university student, you're not a child. In fact, you're an adult. You're, you're on the younger age of adulthood, but you're an adult. No, what Jesus is talking about is not becoming actual children. He's not talking about, he, he's saying we should be like children. There's something about childlike faith. There's something about children that we are supposed to mimic in this idea of coming to faith and following him. And I think it's, it speaks to a lot of things, but let me point out just a handful. One, a hunger for growth, a hunger for nourishment, a hunger for growth. You guys, I, I brought with me today because I just wanted to remind myself and then you of my own story. This, you guys, is the first Bible that I ever got when I became a Christian. So I was uh, a panther. I was up at UNI. Gave my life to Christ, a guy down the hall, shared the gospel with me. I came to Christ as a, you know, I had just been a drunken mess of a freshman. And this guy comes out of the blue, shares the gospel. The first time I ever heard the gospel, I gave my life to Christ. And it, it changed my life. So uh, I got this Bible. And you guys, it was like suddenly everything was being turned right side up in my world. Everything I had turned upside down, everything that I had made a mess, suddenly Jesus was turning everything right side up. Everything was coming into focus. You know what it was? This book, I I keep it. I mean, it's all beat up and worn up. I keep it on my shelf to remind me of how much, you guys, I couldn't get enough of this. And this is, back in the day, this was the newest kind of translation outside the King James, the New American Standard. It is so hard to read. And I almost never read anything. I don't know how I got anything out of this. All it was was a craving to know what was in this book. I remember at one point I would just riddle everybody that I knew that knew Jesus for longer than me with question after question after question. And the guy that had led me to Christ, he was sitting in my dorm room. And by the way, my dorm room, man, it was so cool. I had this Coors poster, and it was like this metallic. I had to stand in front of this bar for a long time to get this cool Coors poster and stuff. And so we're all in there, and I get everybody I know cramming in to hear from the Bible. And I've got all these questions. And the guy that led me to Christ, he said, Jeff, at some point, you're going to have to learn to live with your faith. Like, trying to tell me to stop asking questions. And it was like in that moment, I determined, oh, I will never learn to live with my faith. <laughs> I'm never just going to get used to being a Christian, right? I want that hunger. I want that delight in truth to be true for me all the days of my life. Here's what I'm saying. When we have these university students coming through these doors and they come to Christ, 
Or maybe they've known Christ in the past, but, but suddenly it, it springs to life. Their hunger for truth is contagious. You guys, looking around at the changed lives, looking at the baptismal testimonials as people are just testifying to their transformed lives in Christ, it is contagious, right? I think another part about childlike faith is a humility, right? He even says as much, right, that, that you've got to turn and become like little children because you've got to humble yourself like this, like this child. That humility comes, I think, in the form of dependence, right? The way that a child is so dependent on their parent, they, they can't, children can't make their way in the world without the guardianship of, of parents. I'm saying we, we realize how dependent we are on Christ, that, that humility. We have to turn from our self-sufficiency to this dependency and this humility. And when you're surrounded by people who are just crying out, asking Jesus to help them in humility, it's contagious. We need that. There's a surrender to Christ, this softness, this contrite heart, as, as these students realize that they have, you know, they've made reckless decisions, and they've got, they're in such a mess, and, and yet they're broken about it, and they want to be restored. That's contagious. We need it. Guys, what about the joy? Like, like had you been there Thursday night, to see people, hey, I invited that dude. And I mean, just joy just erupting everywhere. We need joy. We need to step in through these doors and find that contagious joy. And then I threw on, on my list um, a childlike quality, messiness. <laughs> they make messes, right? Like little children, they've got a lot of stuff going for them, but Man, we have to clean up after them all the time. And you know what's true of our university students? They're a mess. They cause chaos. They cause messes everywhere. And you know what? It's glorious because we realize how much activity is going on around here, right? And we're just like, oh, we'll take care of the mess because look at this. Look at the new life that's around. It's worth it, right? We want, Veritas, we want to be spurred on toward childlike faith. And the way we do that is we get around somebody that's really contagious. <laughs> and these guys are contagious with childlike faith and veritas. We need it desperately. So a second way that veritas needs salt company is I really believe that salt leaders bring to veritas strength and courage. I think we are emboldened and infused with strength and courage because of the university students, especially the leaders. So I want you to go back with me to 1 John, the book of 1 John, way back toward the book of Revelation, not the gospel of John, close to Matthew, go deeper toward Revelation to this little book of 1 John. And there's a passage that's become really dear to me. In fact, I think I, we even went through this passage not long ago when we were in the book of 1 John. But I want you to see this again in verse, chapter 2, verse 12, okay? 1 John 2, starting verse 12. He says this, I'm writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you've come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. Now he's going to go back and talk again about children, fathers, and young men. Verse 14. I have written to you, children, because you've come to know the father. I've written to you, fathers, because you've come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. Guys, uh, the, 
I think the like metaphor or whatever that he's trying to use here, like all of us are children. All of us know that our sins are forgiven. All of us are children of God. But so there's really two kind of subcategories of the children of God. Some are the fathers, the mothers, those who have known Christ for a long time. And then you've got the young men, the young women, those who are courageous and in the battle and they're fighting. I believe what he's trying to say is this, guys. The young men, the young women, those young adults, our salt leaders especially, are on the front lines fighting the battles on our behalf. They are in the front lines of culture. And I'm telling you guys, our salt leaders, everything is getting thrown at them from the evil one. Every possible thing is getting thrown at them. And they are having to stay strong. They are having to be courageous. They're having to dig deep into the word to see how do I respond to all these just assaults on their their holiness, on their faith, on their trust, on what they believe. Everything's getting thrown at them. And we get to learn how to stand strong because they are standing strong in the midst of this. And the front lines of university, like, counterculture, counter to the Christian culture, that's what they're facing day in and day out at the university, right? Now, they've got the ever-present stuff that all of us did when we were in college, the, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? There are some things that don't change. The same things that were temptations to me are still temptations, but there are new things getting thrown at our university students all the time. I didn't have to think about what it meant to defend the idea of gender, just the concept of gender, having to defend what that's like. Our students step into classroom after classroom and into the, just the swirl of their culture, and they've got to think through, what does it mean to be a Christian when the idea of gender itself is being assaulted? How do we think about things like what's going on right now in Afghanistan, right? There are these cultural moments, and, and universities are, are hotbeds for everybody having strong ideas and being able to say, I know exactly which. How do we think about these very complex issues? Critical theory. There's, you guys, I could list scores of these things, and our university students are right there on the front lines having these professors come at them and their peers come at them, and they're having to think through how do I stand courageously when being assaulted, <laughs> when, when the very faith that I hold dear is being assaulted. There's a, a great quote by Francis Schaeffer, I want you to see, and we are so blessed to have our university students to help us with this. Each generation of the church, in each setting, has the responsibility of communicating the gospel in understandable terms, considering the language and thought forms of that setting. Here's what, understand what Schaefer is saying. He was a great, great theologian and philosopher, and he's saying every generation of the church has specific things that are getting thrown at them, and it's ours to take this unchangeable truth and figure out how we answer to those things that are unique to our culture, unique to our time, even unique to our geographical setting, and we've got to figure out how to answer. And, and our language can't be some antiquated language from the past. It's got to be fresh language with fresh thoughts all from the scriptures. And you guys, here's what I'm saying. We are blessed, Veritas, because our students are there helping us learn how to speak courageously and, and with grace and truth into this culture. They help us, right? Because it's not just in a defensive posture. It's not just how do we hold off against the assaults. It's how do I speak the gospel, the life-giving gospel, into people who are confused on all these issues 
And they need to be taken to Jesus Christ who alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And here's what happens. Our students step onto that university campus and they're like looking for opportunities to win people to Christ, to win people to this gospel that we are clinging to. I am one of those people that somebody else was looking for to bring me to Christ and to have my mind transformed. I'm saying, Veritas, we need Salt Company because they teach us how to have strength and courage with the gospel, hope in the gospel. All right, now the second point is we're going to turn it on its head. Salt Company, you need Veritas. All right, I'm boldly saying Veritas, we need Salt Company, but Salt Company, you need Veritas. And here's why. First one, students, you need to see the church as a family. Students, you have got to embrace that the church is a family and a multi-generational family and what you're experiencing in this kind of burst of new life and, and growth at Salt Company, it can't just be a college experience. It can't just be something you did when you were in college and then you kind of grew out of it. No, no, no. We want to welcome you into a church family because we want to show you that the church is a family. You need to see older believers wrestle with complex issues that you've not yet encountered. We want you to stand on our shoulders. We want you to see what it looks like to step out of college and into the rest of life and to have Jesus Christ reign supreme and guide us through all the different chapters of life that you've not yet encountered. We hopefully can show you an example of that. Guys, the, the issues of marriage and even now this last week, stuff going on in schools and parents trying to figure out what they should do in, the, in, in their schools and helping their children in the schools, all these issues that you, you haven't even considered yet, but there are a whole lot of people all around you right now thinking a lot about how God wants to guide us in that. And we want you to be part of that discussion and see how much the gospel and the Bible continues to be like that beacon of, of light and hope and truth to guide us all these things. Even you guys, pain and suffering. Few of you as students have really encountered significant pain and suffering. Some of you have, but honestly, not many. I I had such a beautiful conversation with a young dad this, this last week. He and I got together because he, they have a child, an infant, and things are going actually quite poorly physically, health-wise, for their child. And so we got together, and as we were sitting there together, he said, Jeff, I'll be honest with you. I've never encountered this kind of pain. I've never encountered this kind of trial. I feel lost. I feel like I'm asking questions I've never even had to ask. I've got doubts that I never would even have considered would be mine. I was so grateful to be able to be the old guy, <laughs> to be able, you know what? In my life experience, we lost our firstborn. Two of our four almost died at birth. God has brought me through some of those trials, not exactly the same, but enough to where I was able to dig back into this beautiful treasure trove of truth from the Bible that somebody first taught me in those times, and now I'm able to turn around and dispense them to him and to help him find hope and courage. Students, I'm telling you, all around you, guys, I'm telling you, some of the most incredible believers in this church family 
students are actually people old enough to be your parents. And we're inviting you to stand on our shoulders. We're inviting you to, to lean in. You need to see the church as a family. I, I want you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 5. Go back from 1 John just a little bit to the left, and you'll find Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 5. By the way, we're going to be going through the book of Hebrews starting this fall. Just in a couple of weeks, we're going to start this magnificent book of Hebrews, so can't wait to dive in. Chapter 5, verse 13. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish good from evil. What that text is saying is we encounter the Bible and it crashes into my real life experience. And as it does that over and over, my senses become trained in how to think. That, that Romans 12 idea of having a renewed mind, my, my mind is continually being renewed and I'm able to make connect some dots and grow in maturity. But those who are young in faith, they just haven't had the life experience. They haven't had to take the Bible and have it crash into hard reality often enough. But thankfully, the answer to that is come alongside those who have had that experience, right? Come alongside those who have been down the road a little bit, a few steps ahead of you and can offer you some of the help. Their senses have been trained and now they're able to help you as well. Students, you you need to lean in to the church as a family. Don't let it just be a college thing. Just with your peers. That's awesome. You need to lean into the church as a family. Next thing, Salt Company. Salt Company needs Veritas for money. <laughs> okay? This is, how, this is how real it gets. Veritas, I'm telling you, Salt Company needs Veritas for funding. Having an incredible ministry like Salt Company is not cheap. There's a reason that many churches say, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to go there. Why? Because it takes a whole lot of staff to be out there helping and discipling and leading. And it takes things like kickoffs in the middle of campus where you have to rent lights and sound and stuff like that and go on retreats and training materials. And There's a whole lot of resources that are needed to do that whole ministry. And get this, college students, for the most part, they're broke right? They don't give back very well. You should, but they don't have much to give, right? And so what I'm saying is we are giving a lot and on a financial, you know, on the books, we don't get a lot back from the SALT students. And I'm telling you, they are worth every dime, right? Yes, amen. They are worth every dime. Veritas, SALT company needs us. They need us to support them and strengthen them. And you know why? Because one day, the students who are sitting in these chairs right now, they are the next teachers of our children, okay? Sitting right here at Veritas Church are the next business owners who are going to set a pace for how they do that and how they treat employees and how they set themselves up in their communities. And they are the next doctors and nurses they're going to care for those in need. 
we're talking about the next policymakers who will have places of, of power and be able to set the stage for how we do what we do as a culture. And you guys sitting here at Veritas are some of the next missionaries who will take the gospel to underage people groups around the world. That's the potential we have, and I'm saying that is a great investment. You know, Jesus taught us this early on. Hey, when you go to invest, invest in things above, not the things of this earth. Remember how he said that? Don't invest in stuff that's just going to rust and spoil. Invest in the things above with eternal weight. And I'm saying, Veritas, Salt Company needs us to help them. I believe that God wants to transform scores, hundreds, thousands of university students to his glory to change the world. So there's a, a, another quote I want to throw, throw on here by Abraham Kuyper. One of his probably most famous quotes, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. <laughs> so, so you know what happens, church, when, when Salt County students enter him? They, they learn what it means to be an artist under the domain of Christ to make Christ known through their art. Teachers learn what it means that that now I'm not just a teacher who happens to be a Christian, I am a Christian whose vocation is teacher, and so my faith in Christ is going to inform everything that I do, right? Doctors, nurses, politicians, whatever, I'm saying Jesus Christ is Lord over all. What does it look like to be a Christ-centered businessman, a Christ-centered neighbor, a Christ-centered parent? A Christ in every domain of human existence, we have the privilege of helping our students. So students, you need Veritas Church. You need to learn what it is not to have it be a college experience, but to go in and change the world. And my very last point is this. We all desperately need Jesus. I, I hope you were here last week to hear Mark um, introduce ourselves to you by the way of just pointing us to Jesus. If, if you weren't here or you're new even this week, good, man, go on and listen to last week's message. I don't want to re-preach it, but I'm telling you, all of us, guys, this task is overwhelming. Here we are, one little church, and because we couldn't find any real estate, you know, down there, <laughs> all the sentinels are down there, we, we're, all, we're out here in Tiffin, you know, and we're we're making a lot of noise for Jesus, and we're worshiping Jesus, and it's awesome because now, because we're out here, even a lot of families can come. But here's what I'm saying. It's overwhelming to think about how to reach this little, how to reach Tiffin would be overwhelming. Well alone, the whole greater region of the Iowa City, you know, greater area, and especially the university. You guys, it's a scary place, that university, Right? Who are we to step foot on there and hold fast the gospel of truth when it's being assaulted and assailed? But here we are. We're doing it, right? We are so unprepared for this. <laughs> we are so, yeah, exactly. Woo! We are so weak and unprepared, but Jesus is strong. And Jesus has a passion for the lost. And we are surrounded by lostness, which means Jesus is just eager 
to lean in and infuse us with everything we need to make him known in this area. That's our task. So what I want to do, actually, is I'm going to be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but I want to read this over you as we submit ourselves in desperation to Jesus. I would love it if you would stand with me. And the way that I want to close is actually just to let this word land in our souls. I'm in 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 26. Here's the word of the Lord to us, Veritas. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. And as, as I read these words, I want you to kind of even look around and snicker a little bit at how <laughs> bold and honest this word is for our church family. You know, there's not many wise <laughs> from a human perspective. I look around, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. I mean, I'm from Osage, right? But the rest of you guys... <laughs> it's laughable right instead God has chosen drunken idiots from Osage God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. Guys, it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. <laughs> Jesus, we claim that passage. We are so weak, insignificant. Lord, who are we that you have tasked us with reaching Iowa City, all the surrounding areas, and especially that big, scary university who doesn't often even like us? But God, it's in this moment that we want you to know our trust has never been in ourselves. And Jesus, we embrace our weakness and our insignificance because we serve a God who does miraculous things when people come with childlike faith, understanding how dependent we are, how weak we truly are, but Jesus, when we submit ourselves to you, when we really believe that you can do supernatural things through insignificant people like us, Lord, we just want to stand back and watch. And we want to be so filled with hope. We want to be so filled with courage that you can transform our lives and through us send out a message of reconciliation and hope and good news. Oh, Jesus. Let this place be like a, a city on a hill, a beacon of hope, a beacon of truth. Lord, would you do things that we could have never asked for or even imagined possible because that's the kind of God that you are. So we love you, Lord. We cast ourselves upon you. 
We love you. Do your work. In Christ's name.